<laughs> That's so funny. The last time I heard that, I laughed so hard I fell off my dinosaur. Money points ever. From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, you're listening to Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Uh, welcome once again, and excuse the feedback. Uh, this might be sort of a experimental show, given that I've got uh, quite the stomach virus, Corey. Uh, jumped on me all of a sudden, and our plan this weekend was to cover Ridley Scott's Robin Hood, which was released nationwide. Uh, was there a midnight showing Thursday No, night? there wasn't. Oh, okay, so Friday yesterday it was released nationwide and it stars russell crowe and good lord i don't know what's going on here but uh we're having we're having a hot mic uh but Corey, you saw the film i was unable to i was going to last night at the uh cobb hollywood 16 the late show but it my stomach just wouldn't allow it man and i'm, I'm sorry i wasn't able to but thank goodness you're uh, somebody who just rarely misses the new releases and you see them <laughs> fairly early for uh, better or worse and so we're basically just going to get your uh, perspective on its own today about this film. Um, but Corey, Roger Ebert released an early review of Robin Hood, and let's try and fix this hot mic. There we go. He released an early review of Robin Hood, and he had this to say Robin Hood is a high tech and well made violent action picture using the same name of Robin Hood for no better reason than that it's an established brand and not protected by copyright. Uh, I cannot discover any sincere interest on the part of Scott Crow and writer Brian Hedgeland in any previous version of Robin Hood. Now, Corey, um, Ebert sort of reinforces my greatest fears about this movie, even if it is the latest Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe collaboration. This is their fourth, I think. Yeah, uh, he's exactly right. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, you and I had relatively low expectations for it, based mostly on the premise and the confusing marketing. Uh, I think by now we both have a pretty firm grasp on the Robin Hood character and narrative, at least that's how it's been depicted, or at least as it's been depicted for the last near 70 years, and we're going all the way back to 1939, so a little less. Uh, again, I didn't see this film, but I plan to. But I'm curious, Corey, is Ebert onto something by suggesting that Scott and screenwriter Brian Hedgeland have no interest in telling the traditional story of Robin Hood and his merry men, and opting for a more hyper-serious historical epic only using the famous title and serving as sort of a pseudo-sequel to Scott's Kingdom of Heaven, or... Does this film exceed those expectations? Deliver, in a sense, uh, deliver a sense of that beloved character and reinvigorate your faith in Ridley Scott. I I would have to say that this movie does sort of both simultaneously. I don't think it sort of like reinvigorates the character or my faith in Ridley Scott necessarily, but it it is better than I expected it to be. Um, mostly because I wasn't expecting much. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a great movie though. Um, because I think the the movie's problems begin and end with this title, with this premise, um, which is essentially sort of an origin story of, of Robin Hood, as we have seen him portrayed in other stories and myth. Um, and that's a problem. Um, one, because Russell Crowe, quite frankly, is too old to play the character. Another, because when you go to see a movie called Robin Hood, you know, you have certain expectations of what you want to see how Robin Hood should be portrayed and this movie doesn't really get to any of that it is like you said more of a spiritual sequel to Kingdom of Heaven with source with horseback sword fighting and and uh, crusades action in the first half of the movie 
Um, and there's no, I mean, it's just not really as, as fun as you would expect from, from a Robin Hood movie. It doesn't have a sense of adventure, necessarily. That's not to say it's, it's poorly made, because it's not, but it feels more like Kingdom of Heaven, say, or Gladiator than, than a Robin Hood movie. And really, there's no reason it should be called Robin Hood for all the attention well, a lot that of, the character gets. A lot of people say that it's really missing that sense of joy that you're used to with the Robin Hood character in the story. There's more of sort of a, uh, a fun, um, I guess, feeling when you're watching these because of the joy Robin Hood, the character, has uh, by robbing the rich and giving to the poor. You even got that in the uh, early 90s update uh, directed by Kevin Reynolds starring Kevin Costner is Robin Hood um, and before we start comparing uh, all of these movies which we'll do later when we pick our favorite versions um, is this too serious I mean is I don't know how big of a fan of Robin Hood you are um, but did it anger you at all that Ridley Scott chose to tell the story this way no I mean I, I can't honestly claim any affection for for the Robin Hood mythos necessarily um, it didn't anger me as much as it just struck me pointless and perfunctory um, just because I mean it doesn't do anything with that story there's really no reason this should be called Robin Hood it just takes some of the same characters um, you know Robin Hood was played by Russell Crowe puts him in an origin type story with the characters we recognize from myths such as Little John and Friar Tuck and, and here Lady Marion <laughs> and the Sheriff of Nottingham who sort of flit around and don't really do anything they're just there to, I don't know, be there because they're supposed to be there. I guess mm -hmm. it is. I mean, it just there. There are some. There are some major flaws, I think, in the scripting of this movie, structurally, with these characters because they're just there because the title is Robin Hood. I mean, Friar Tuck doesn't really do anything. You know, Robin Hood's merry men, I suppose, who really are kind of faceless, except for Little John, who I probably only recognize because he's played by Kevin Durand. Of, of Lost, and uh, among other things. Um, oh, and he was uh, in 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Um, um, Mystery Alaska. X-Men, The Last Stand. Right. Yeah, right, he's so. in a bunch of stuff. Just a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he plays Little John here. Um, he doesn't really do anything. Um, Except show his muscles off. Yeah. Yeah. And the Sheriff of Nottingham, and I didn't know this until after the movie, is played by Matthew McFadden, mm -hmm. uh, and he doesn't do anything either. Well, um, it's a shame. It, it sounds like a shame, and of course I can't comment on the quality of the movie, but I can ask you, um, now that you've seen it, and uh, you, you, you've seen what the execution that Ridley Scott pulled off uh, from uh, Brian Hedgeland's script, I mean, what exactly do you think they were trying to do, and do you think that they accomplished what they set out to do? I mean, again, this is supposed to be sort of a, you know, an or like the story behind the myth, I suppose. Um, except the movie ends with, and this isn't much of a spoiler, it ends with a title card saying, and so the legend begins, because Robin Hood is now in his comfortable settings where we expect him to be doing those things, doing those fun things that we all know he did, uh, which seems kind of, like, terribly beside the point, because that's what we all wanted to see. The trailer features no less than, like, two separate shots uh, about Robin Hood as as outlaw in Sherwood Forest that are from the last five minutes of the movie, hmm. because I, I mean it's like they they didn't know how else to market it. You know you could market it as a as a 
uh, a horseback sword fighting movie, a crusades movie, but that's not Robin Hood. There's this huge disparity there between the concept and, and the premise and, and then like what they actually did. Now, as far as doing an origin story, I mean, yeah, they accomplished that, but why? You know, why do we, why do we need to see that? Um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, our friend of the show, Ben Stark, remarked that this was sort of the Robin Hood Begins story, uh, comparing it to what Nolan did with the Batman franchise. Uh, do you feel like this, again, I mean, you had kind of a, not a, not a really adverse reaction, but seem, you seem pretty mixed about it, but do you think that Scott has successfully rebooted the Robin Hood franchise, and do you anticipate anybody having any interest in a follow-up to this movie? I doubt it. I mean, to be honest, everybody's response, I, like, I, I can't really speak for everybody in the country, but, like, most of the people I've talked to about this movie have the reaction, oh, another Robin Hood movie? Jeez, why are they doing that? I don't want to see that. Um, and that's understandable. I didn't really want to see it either. Um, but I don't see this, like, making enough money to continue as a franchise, and I don't see, you know, the ever-mercurial Ridley Scott settling down to do a sequel. Well, I, I saw two friends of mine yesterday when I went out to dinner. I hadn't seen them in a while, and I asked them what they were up to, and they said, we just saw Robin Hood earlier. And I said, well, how was it? And they said, dude, it was awesome. And they, they might as well have high-fived. Yeah. And they were telling me how they, uh, <clears throat> one of them said he was planning on seeing it again because it pumped him up so much. Really? Well, yeah, why do you think huh. uh, he would have had that reaction? I mean, tell me what you find good about this Robin Hood It movie. is a fun movie. I, I, I can't lie. You know, as as... Troubling as I find some of the characterization, and by troubling, I guess I really mean non-existent, um, and as goofy as, as the premise might be, I mean, Ridley Scott, you know Ridley Scott. He shoots this um, with the characteristic care, with the, with the art direction that has so been excellent in his past few movies. Um, the action scenes are pretty awesome. Um, and it does pump you up. I mean, not to the extent that, say, Gladiator does, but obviously they were trying to recapture that feel. Uh, and they come close. I mean, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's a lot more fun than I thought it would be. Brian Hedgelin's script is not deadly serious like I thought it would be, you know, expecting a Ridley Scott movie. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that the attempts at humor really work, but they're there, and I appreciated them because I expected another dour Ridley Scott, you know, blue-tinted action movie and, and got something that at least attempted to be, you know, light or lighter Well, uh, at points. And you said that you had some fun and uh, it wasn't as hyper-serious and you even alluded to the fact that this could be sort of like a, a sister picture to Kingdom of Heaven, yeah. so to speak, or a pseudo-sequel, spiritual sequel. Um, and what uh, some other things that I've heard, and because Brian Hedgelin wrote the screenplay. I've heard people even compare it to his uh, film A Knight's Tale from a few years ago starring Heath Ledger, which, uh, like it or not, was a pretty fun movie and uh, was very light. Did you pick up on any of those tones? Um, at points. They're few and far between. But, uh, yeah, I'd say the attempts at humor in this film are, are sort of of, of a similar, similar mind. Though, you know, we're talking about two minutes out of a two-and-a-half-hour film here. The rest is, is Ridley Scott, hyper-serious filmmaking. Well, where does this rank in terms of Ridley Scott's films? I think it's probably better than his last two, if only slightly, but I am no fan at all of, of Body of Lies or American Gangster. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, I mean, I just can't, I mean, I can't recommend it. It's, it's a fun time at the movies. It's a good popcorn flick. 
I just can't recommend it. I, at, at, as far as at Ridley Scott action movies, it's no Kingdom of Heaven director's cut or Gladiator by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you haven't seen either of those for some reason, you know, obviously see those before Robin Hood. You could probably rent them and save yourself some money. I'm just kind of curious about the initial decision to make this a Robin Hood film, if they're going to stray so far from the Robin Hood uh, mythology, I guess. Um, because, you know, you would think that when you have Ridley Scott involved and based on the movies he's made and the success they had, or Gladiator much more so than Kingdom of Heaven, why wouldn't you just make a Gladiator prequel or maybe even a Kingdom of Heaven sequel? And, I mean, if you're going to... Uh, make a Robin Hood movie, why cast 47-year-old Russell Crowe, and why not even jump back uh, to Orlando Bloom, who hmm. might be more age-appropriate? Um, you know, Russell Crowe gives a pretty good performance here when he actually has things to do other than, you know, be Maximus again. Uh, but you're, you're right in that his age be, it becomes a noticeable problem. Um, that's not to slight, I, I guess, Russell Crowe as an actor. It's just to say that as Robin Hood, or you know, instead of some other anonymous crusader, it doesn't really work. Um, and and there are points where it becomes an issue of believability. Um, but I, you know, the the rest of the cast, they they're pretty good. You know, William Hurt and uh, Kate Blanchett and. Um, Oscar Isaac as King John are standouts, uh, and Mark Strong, of course, has his like fiftieth villain role in right. the past three months, right. uh, playing the villainous Godfrey, who is just bad because he is, I guess. You know, there's no explaining it. Well, that, you know, that's that's the thing is, I mean, you have all of these great actors. You've got, as you just listed off, Russell Crowe and uh, um, William Hurt and Matthew McFadden and. Mark Strong and Kate Blanchett, that's a pretty uh, heady cast, I would say. I mean, that's if they were casting any other movie, if I just saw their uh, names on a list of a film that was coming out, I would probably want to see that movie no matter what uh, it was called or what it was about. Um, and you have Ridley Scott, and you and I were talking uh, before the show about uh, what was the last great Ridley Scott movie, and I mean, most people would probably refer to directly back to Gladiator, Gladiator, the best picture winner of 2000, and you said you're a fan of Matchstick, man. Uh, is it, You said it's better, this film is better than his last couple of movies, yeah. which you're not a fan of. Yeah, I think I think the Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is really good, too. Um, but as far as his output this decade, I mean, there's Gladiator, uh, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, then a precipitous drop in quality until you get to Kingdom of Heaven, and then... Not a fan of a good year? No. <laughs> I'll let you know, honestly, low expectations going into it. I, I liked A Good Year, I think, more than I like a lot of his movies this decade. Um, you know, based on strictly maybe on the visuals of the movie, it's beautiful, and that's something that you can expect with a Ridley Scott film. Is, is this movie uh, on that level? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it um, looks good? It looks great. I mean, the, produ- the production design is, is awesome, um, and it's shot really well. I mean... The problems just lie in its premise and in its script. Um, there's probably a, a way to do a Robin Hood origin story that is actually coherent, but this wasn't it. Well, let's talk about some of the uh, Robin Hood stories that were coherent and uh, jump right into our favorite incarnations of this legendary character. Um, I'm very biased towards the Disney version from 1973 <laughs> uh, because it's something that I grew up watching. It was one of those VHSs that I could throw in 
any day of the week and just enjoy from beginning to end. It didn't matter even where I where I started it. And you know, I, I have it on DVD now, and I watch it again, and I really think it holds up. I mean, it's just a really unique uh, take on the story. It's pretty basic in terms of the the uh, Robin Hood narrative, but I just think it's something that Disney hadn't done before in terms of its uh, sort of laid-back tone and uh, reliance on sort of non-traditional Disney music, but I, I really do love that version, and I can always go back to it. What's your favorite Robin Hood film? I mean, probably that one. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've only seen the Michael Curtiz and the uh, Kevin Reynolds versions once. Have you not seen uh, Men in Tights? Oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't even think about that. I guess that makes it sense. It counts? Yeah, okay, it counts. I love that movie, man. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have no real affection or memory for, for the Michael Curtiz or Kevin Reynolds versions, except for, you know, I remember the Michael Curtiz version as being a good studio product at that time. It's fun. You know, whatever. The Kevin, the Kevin Reynolds version with Kevin Costner, not so much. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, got, I remember when that first came out, I saw it in theater, in theaters maybe maybe once or twice, you know, and I uh, bought it subsequently immediately when it came out. I liked it just because I liked Robin Hood, and I, you know, it was fun to see a live-action uh, version of it um, for my generation. But when you do go back and you do hear Kevin Costner's, um, I don't really know what to call accent in the movie. I mean, it's just kind of this blend of American and English, and he doesn't really pull it off. And about halfway through the movie, he virtually abandons it and just talks like Kevin Costner. But I mean, you've also got Morgan Freeman and. Christian Slater in a fun role as uh, uh, Will Scarlet, I think, is the name. And I'm curious, is that character? Yeah. He's in this new movie? Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what my favorite Robin Hood character is, and it, it's, um, best, uh, it's best realized, or he is best realized in the 1939 version, and I would even prefer the 1973 animated version. It's Prince John, and mm -hmm. he's known as King John in this film, uh, but he's played by uh, the brilliant Claude Rains in the Errol Flynn version, and it, to me, it's just um, anytime he's on screen, I'm having more fun with him than I was Errol Flynn, actually. And hmm. I mean, what can you say about that? Everybody loves Errol Flynn, and that's a guy who just exudes charm. But Claude Rains is just like he's such a great bad guy, and Prince John is just such—he—he's he, just this uh, cowardly um, villain who can't fight his own battles. I mean, the Sheriff of Nottingham is fun too, and he is in the animated version, but really. In the animated Robin Hood, Prince John, I forget who he's voiced by, but it's one of the funniest film characters I've ever seen in my life. I love it. So uh, It's not. It's Peter Ustinov. Is it? I think so. Okay, well, great job, Peter Ustinov. Um, so, that aside, who is your favorite Robin Hood? What actor do you think pulled it off the best? Oh, man. Um, the animated Fox. I guess, like like I said, I mean, I have no real affection for for the Robin Hood mythos. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this movie didn't do it any favors. No, not really. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I do, and I continue to, and um, I will see this uh, Ridley Scott movie, uh, voiced by Brian Bedford, as Robin Hood uh, in the the animated version. And Peter Ustinov, you are correct. Uh, he played Prince John and King Richard. So huh. he basically played the rival brothers. Uh, I guess in that movie, which is terrific, terrific stuff. And I, I'll probably go back and watch that tonight. Actually, <laughs> I'm getting uh, nostalgic here. Uh, but Corey, um, 
we'll come back and talk a little bit about box office, uh, how we think this film will do, whether or not it really has a, a, a shot at unseating Iron Man 2 as the king of the box office this week. Uh, something tells me that uh, we'll feel strongly in uh, one direction. Uh, but do stick around. This is Aspect Radio. Uh, the film is playing at the Cobb Hollywood 16 in Tuscaloosa and nationwide as well. This is Duquette Johnston with Babies and Diamonds. Stick around. This is 90.7 The Capstone. Spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. I should probably be trying harder to score chicks. Ninety point seven. Back here on uh, 90.7 The Capstone. This is Aspect Radio. I am Ben Flanagan, as always, joined by Corey Kraft across the glass window. Um, he saw Robin Hood, not too crazy about it, but what can you do? Corey, I mean, I'll, let's just jump right into it. How much money do you think this is going to make this weekend? I haven't seen Nikki Fink's early projections yet. I've kind of stayed away from them, but I'm just curious what you think it could top out at. I mean, I don't expect it to do any more than $40 million, probably between 30 and 40 This isn't going to behave like a blockbuster. It's mm -hmm. certainly not going to behave like Iron Man 2. I think it'll do respectable business, but considering it's pretty astronomical budget, it's not. I don't think it's going to make that back domestically. $237 million. It's pretty stunning. Unbelievable, man. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to do very well domestically, but I think if it has a prayer at making that back, it could really connect with international audiences. I think it'll probably do very well internationally. Yeah, well, it, it better hope so, because Universal, I, I don't understand that. I mean, if you're going to, I don't know. I don't really understand this project. I've got to see it uh, to really know how I feel, but gosh, just, just not much going for it. Uh, do you think that Iron Man 2 takes that significant of a drop this week to where it falls below? No. No? No. I don't think word of mouth is that bad on Iron Man 2, and I think you'll, you'll, you're going to see like a pretty standard 50 to 60 percent drop but even that considering the astronomical numbers it did last week uh I, even that'll be okay to stay number one well it uh looks like you know i just pulled up deadline.com's projection and it says downey versus crow holdover iron man beats newcomer robin hood friday for number one huh. um it says that it, iron man is it made 16 million on friday and Robin Hood made 14. Iron Man's expected to clear 53 million this weekend, while Robin Hood, just as Corey predicted correctly, 40 million dollars. Bam. And if not 40, then it's going to be between at least between 30 and 40 million. So, nice pick. Coming in at second this weekend, it looks like Letter to Ju Letters to Juliet, uh, which is the Amanda Seyfried starer that um, has basically made no noise at all. Uh, it's expected to make 14 million, but. Uh, Gosh, I mean, uh, didn't uh, Dear John do fairly well? Wasn't it the one that unseated uh, 
was it did it beat out avatar finally yeah uh yeah it did yeah her starring our, our friend channing tatum from coleman alabama <laughs> let's not forget and uh the other new release from this weekend just right starring queen latifah and uh hip-hop star common it's gonna make about nine million which sounds about right i just i don't know i feel pretty lukewarm about that as well but uh yeah it looks like robin hood not doing terribly um and i, I would expect that that number is probably going to be doubled overseas if not more so uh, probably this, this weekend yeah. i had heard that it was doing well leading up to it anyway and when it had its uh can premiere they were already projecting like a decent amount internationally so speaking of can and mm-hmm. this is totally off subject. Sure. Today marks the, sc- the first public screenings of uh, the new Mike Lee film, Another Year, and the new Woody Allen film, mm-hmm. You Will Meet a Tall, Dark Stranger. Uh-huh. I wish I were in Cannes. Yeah, I know. Um, I read Chicago Tribune and at the movies. Michael Phillips, he tweeted earlier, either last night or today, he said, I've seen the new Mike Lee movie, and he wrote in parentheses, good, and I've seen the new Woody Allen movie, and he wrote in parentheses, I'm not... It, to paraphrase, he wrote, like, I'm not going to tell you how I feel about it right now. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe he's uh, torn about it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, the only thing I've seen from that is one little clip. Uh, yeah, I that, saw that clip, too. Yeah, it ran around the internet. And uh, I've got to say, I mean, it looked great, of course. His movies rarely look bad. It was like a, a one, one long take with Naomi Watts and Antonio Banderas sort of walking through. Is it London again? Or, uh, I want to say so. Yeah, I think they're in London again. But what worries me here, like, I, I don't mind him casting Antonio Banderas. I, I'm a fan of his. I think he's a good actor, and I think he would work well in a Woody Allen movie. But what really bothers me is that it seems Antonio Banderas is the guy this time around mm-hmm. who is going for the, uh, trying to basically do his Woody Allen impression. Well, uh, the Hollywood Reporter has a review up now. The bottom line calls it serviceable, mm. a serviceable comedy. <laughs> I wasn't aware that it was a comedy, but um, okay. Well, you know, I've been a big fan of a lot of the stuff that he's done this decade that other people have probably considered serviceable. So we'll see. I think most people are uh, really jaded by Woody Allen at this point, even when he had that surge in 2005 with Matchpoint. A lot of people like Vicky Cristina Barcelona, but for the most part, a lot of people haven't liked his films. But I think you and I are pretty big Woody Allen fans, and we have a different level of expectations, and we tend to be ready, a little readier to like his movies, don't you think? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, but let's be honest, too. He, he has made a couple of bad ones recently, and it really pains me to say that, but... It's true, but I, you know, I can't wait to see this. It's got a great cast. It's got Anthony Hopkins, Naomi Watts, who I think is he and Woody, she and Woody Allen are a match made in heaven. I wish that they had worked together sooner, maybe after Mulholland Drive. But you know, he stuck with Scarlett Johansson for whatever reason. Still not a fan of that pairing. <laughs> but uh, Corey, let's uh, kind of before we do our most anticipated movies of the summer, and while we're talking box office, I might be the only one that's curious about this. I saw a story off of Hollywood Wiretap mm-hmm. site which is a great website. It's kind of like the Hollywood Drudge Report. But it had an article about Betty White and the just sudden burst of success that she's having based on what people thought of the proposal, which was successful, more so, of course, for Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Um, But, I mean, this has really become a phenomenon because you see her. She hosted SNL last week or a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember. Uh, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, okay. So she hosted SNL, uh, gave it its highest ratings in a long time. She uh, has, you know, she's in that Snickers commercial, uh, which a lot of people like. I think that was a Super Bowl commercial. And she, I mean, she's just well-liked by everybody. And that's, that's, nothing has changed. People have always liked Betty White, but it seems like all of a sudden she's 
just sort of skyrocketed back to this A-list status. And I think it leads to an interesting question, given her sudden mass appeal, uh, again, or her repeated mass appeal, after 52 years of working in show business, do you think, Corey, that a senior citizen, or in her case, an elderly actress or actor, she's 88, okay? I'd, I'd say elderly. Do you think that an elderly actor or actress can be a box office draw that studios could count on other than Betty White. I mean, who else could it be? But I mean, first, do you think that they could? I don't see I don't see her popularity necessarily as as a as a box office draw as much as it is the the curiosity of the moment mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of people. Though I will admit that as much as I didn't like The Hangover, I disliked her the least. I suppose. Uh, in spite of the you fact, mean the proposal? Uh, yeah, the proposal. I'm sorry. There is a rumor that she is. There's a role being written for her for The Hangover too. So huh. maybe that's that's a coincidence. Yeah. Okay. So that didn't <laughs> no that that didn't enter into my mind yeah. at all. Uh, no, I, I just get this confused apparently. Okay. But I, I'd like to think this isn't you know a fad. But she's been doing such good work for so long, uh, and she's so. I don't know, well-liked. I mean, I, I don't think that she's going to be called upon to, like, anchor a movie by herself or anything like that. Maybe maybe some television work, guest appearances, but I don't even think that she would want to anchor a film by herself at mm-hmm. this age or, or something like that. You know, the, uh, Entertainment Weekly did an article on her a couple weeks ago and interviewed her, and, and she, she said that uh, this this whole thing was just kind of baffling to her. And I, and I guess you can, you can look at the proposal as the roots of this. But uh, I, the point is, if I were a studio head, exactly greenlight a movie that, say, focused around a character played by Betty White at this moment, because I think that it is kind of a passing fad. Uh, as far as supporting roles, I think she'll always steal the show in those. So if Todd Phillips wants to put her in The Hangover to you, go for it. Wow, some Betty White hate by Corey no, Kraft. That, I don't get it, man. Wow. You know, um, just because uh, she's an 88-year-old lady. Well, uh, or just because she's Betty White. <laughs> you know, muted uh, indifference is, turns into hate. Well, look, somebody who is a little bit younger than Betty White, the only real, like, I guess you could say senior citizen, so to speak, that I think could have box office draw and who has had it pretty recently, as recent as uh, 2008, is Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, Gran Torino was a $100 million movie, uh, and I think primarily because of Eastwood's performance that people really came out loving, don't you think? Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know if I'd call Clint Eastwood a senior citizen, though. I don't want him knocking on my door tonight. You think he cares, man? No, probably not. No, I don't think so. He can still kick all of our asses, so yeah. who cares? Um, but no, I do think that if there's anybody, you know, if there's an older actor or actress out there, I do think Clint Eastwood is still the guy who could, uh, you know, put butts in the seats based on his name alone not as director apparently yeah well (laughs) if he's not on screen in one of his movies i think people are less inclined to do that um but i mean obviously he directed gran torino and uh million dollar baby was uh, do you remember how much million dollar baby made it made over 100 yeah there you go starring clint eastwood I don't think Hillary Swank was the reason people went, you know? Kind of a totally downbeat uh, melodrama. Exactly. That probably wouldn't have done as much business otherwise. Exactly. So there you go. Clint, he's the guy. He is the guy. Of course. Uh, but let's take another quick break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about our top three most anticipated summer movies, I guess, for the rest of the summer. We've seen, or Corey has seen, both of the first two major blockbuster releases. But when we'll come back, we'll see if we can go through this list of not-so-surefire hits. Uh, but do stick around. This is Aspect Radio. Corey Kraft and Ben Flanagan. Uh, stick around. You think you're too cool for school, but I got a newsflash for you, Walter Cronkite. 
You aren't. Ronnie Point Seven. Back here on Aspect Radio, I'm uh, Ben Flanagan, joined as always by Corey Kraft, and uh, of course you hear <clears throat> Black Sabbath, you hear Ozzy going crazy under us right now with Iron Man. Iron Man 2, uh, I believe, was easily one of our most anticipated movies of the summer, and uh, we did catch that uh, last weekend, and I think we both had a pretty favorable reaction to it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. You know, my dad hasn't seen it, uh, wife hasn't seen it, um, so if they wanted to go catch it, I might even check it out again. I mean, if that means I can avoid Robin Hood, <laughs> I might do that. Um, it holds up on a second viewing. Right, so you yeah. saw it midnight, and then you saw it Friday night, right? Yeah, because uh, my fiance didn't want to go to the midnight show, so right. we went on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, I know how that is. I took uh, Tess to the midnight show of Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal thing yeah i saw you there yeah and uh she was not happy <laughs> i mean she she actually didn't uh hate the movie as much as i did oh. but she always whenever whenever i you know say you know you're not game enough to come with me to a midnight show or something like that if i complain or something she's like oh i went to indiana jones <laughs> midnight so you can just forget it i wasn't happy either but it was because of the movie and not the the midnight setting, right? Well, I was pretty pissed off uh, because of the midnight setting because I mean I was up that late. Yeah, I saw three midnight movies last year, and uh, two of them I didn't mind as much: Public Enemies and uh, Harry Potter, um, yeah. which I thought was great. Yeah, the Harry Potter movie is great. Yeah, but I saw Transformers two. Oh, I did too. At, oh at midnight. man, and <laughs> I was I was really angry yeah. about that. And too. I was I was tired. Number one. Yeah. And number two, there was a bomb threat at my theater. I what? saw it, I saw it in Aniston. Uh, Alabama, or excuse me, Oxford, Alabama, at their uh, mall theater. I was living there last summer, and there was a bomb threat. And like right before the movie was about to start, this person came in and was like, "Hey, there's a bomb threat. We need you all to go out to the lobby." And I'm like, "Oh, really? Out to the lobby where the bomb might be? You know, <laughs> not to the parking lot or anything." But it held the movie up for like 50 minutes, and so I was basically at that theater for like four hours. And almost not worth yeah, it. Exactly, and the movie was not very good uh, after that. But um. Those were last year's summer movies. Let's talk about this year's summer movies. Uh, Corey, let's go through our top three most anticipated for the rest of the summer. I'll go ahead and throw uh, you the mic in terms of uh, your your first. Let's go one by one. Okay. Or three, I guess. Let's start from three. Okay. Um, well, my third most anticipated movie of the summer doesn't come out until August, but it is Edgar Wright's Sky Pilgrim vs. the World, which I suppose anybody who knows me could have called that. And probably my other two, actually. Um, Edgar Wright uh, is the director. He's the director of uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And this film is an adaptation of Brian Lee O'Malley's comic series. It stars Michael Sarah and a whole bunch of other people. Um, popular comedians of the day, like Aubrey Plaza. Um, Chris Evans is in the movie. Brandon Routh. Um, Jason Schwartzman. So it's, it's got a really hipster-friendly cast. Um, but it looks like a lot of fun, and it's an Edgar Wright movie, so that guarantees uh, my undying allegiance already. <laughs> it's pretty undying, I will say. Um, 
and I think that's a good pick uh, because I mean, look, it's slim pickings out there. Yeah, this uh, summer is is kind of. Uh, Kind of nothing. Yeah, but I mean, you know, people wouldn't call an Edgar Wright movie, the new Edgar Wright movie, nothing. You know what I mean? Right. So anybody will get excited about that. You know, I do want to see that as well. I thought the trailer was pretty interesting. Um, even if I, along with I'm sure a lot of other people, are getting a little tired of the Michael Sarah shtick, so to speak, of this sort of awkward teen, uh, lovable awkward teen, just sort of kind of uh, playing the George Michael uh, role as far as it can take him, and look, it's funny. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny it. Michael Sarah's a funny guy, but um, and I don't know how much range I expect from an actor like him. Uh, but God, I mean, how many times can you do it? And you know what kind of bothers me about this, and this is uh, really no reason not to see the movie. Um, the girl that he's trying to date or that he's falling in love with, and uh, he, you know who who she, he's fighting for, you know, not exactly at first glance um worth all that trouble and number two i mean does the the film's plot and what he has to do in the movie not suggest that she kind of gets around uh i think yeah that's part of the point uh-huh. uh i've read the first i want to say two or three issues of the of the six volume comic book uh-huh. um and i think it's building up to some sort of uh, revelation, sort of anti-idealizing your, your partner or something like that. I don't know. But but to say that the girl is not appealing, uh, I, I think it might be a stretch. Oh, well, I mean, um, I don't know. The haircut bothers me. Right, that's, you know? that's a comic book haircut. Yeah, and sometimes comic, sometimes drawings don't really translate well to live action. Right. Um, God, I was watching Cable last night, and the... Adapt or Thursday night, and the adaptation for the video game Street Fighter was on, <laughs> and not the Chun Li movie that came out last year, yeah. but you know the Van Damme version, and it it is flabbergasting, man. That movie, I couldn't, be- I caught like the last five minutes of it, and I, I really couldn't believe it. And I love that game, and I was so pumped about that movie, but it just did not accomplish what I felt Mortal Kombat's first movie did. Um, oh God, it's just, it's giving me nightmares. There's still yet to be a good Street Fighter movie made. And if they're going to make them like that in the Chun-Li movie, why just don't, don't do it. Um, my number three is, uh, the Adam McKay, Will Ferrell collaboration, The Other Guys. Um, it's now their fourth collaboration as, uh, writers, uh, director and actor. Um, I'm a big fan of these two. Uh, it goes back to SNL. I thought they did some of their best work, uh, then. And I think that, um... You know, I think Anchorman is a classic comedy at this point. It's it's legit. It's great. I wasn't as big of a fan of Talladega Nights, and I thought that Step Brothers was just you know pretty good. It, it had plenty of laughs to keep me satisfied. And I, in, unlike you, Corey, I was not very impressed by this trailer because number one, I don't really buy Mark Wahlberg as sort of this geeky <laughs> desk jockey. You know, on the police force, he he's been cast as an action star before, and I mean, why should I think that he's as dorky and uh, you know inept in terms of police work as Will Ferrell would be? But I really like Will Ferrell's character design in this. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks really cool, and uh, you know, most of the trailer is funny, especially the you know the walking away from explosions joke <laughs> at the end that they kind of recycled from last year's MTV Movie Awards uh, when. Really? Andy yeah. Samberg and uh, and see that Will Ferrell. They did a music video uh, for a song called "Cool Guys Don't Look at Explosions." <laughs> they walk away in slow motion. That whole thing. Where it was you know Will Ferrell as Neil Diamond, and then J.J. Abrams comes in for a keyboard solo. You should YouTube it. It's what? hilarious. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's incredible. That sounds awesome. Yeah, but Corey, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is um, 
the June release Toy Story 3, um, Pixar's latest sequel to uh, the Toy Story movies, um, obviously. Um, it's on my list for no other reason other than that it's a, this is a Pixar movie, and they've been so consistent since their creation that there's no reason not to look forward to this. Yeah, um, I, I have a feeling that our list is going to be identical for the rest of the show, right. um, because Toy Story 3 is my number two. Um, I You know, I, I really... Toy Story, the first one, has a really special place in my movie going hard. I mean, it was the first Pixar movie, obviously, so everybody's attached to it. It's, it, it was the, uh, the catalyst for many uh, legitimately great films uh, in the past decade, especially. Um, and it, you could argue that it's the best Pixar movie. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I bet it's a lot of people's favorites. You know, mine, still uh, Finding Nemo, and I love Ratatouille, but Toy Story's right up there. Um, and I can't wait. I mean, John Lasseter's not directing it this time, uh, which I think could be a good thing, considering, <laughs> considering the, last cars. Mo- yeah, the last movie that he directed, which I think is the only bad Pixar movie. Um, but, uh, I mean, look, if we get another adventure with Buzz Lightyear and Woody, uh, and all those other toys, uh, fine with me. And uh, Corey, I don't know how you feel, but a lot of people have some reservations about this movie because when they see the trailer and they see sort of like the hyper comical um, feel it's kind of going mm-hmm. for, they they refer to it as more of a DreamWorks type movie than a Pixar movie. Do you agree with that? I I don't, but I would say that. Perhaps judgment should be reserved until we see something other than marketing material, um, which might make the movie seem a little more manic than it than it is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really believe. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be funny. All the Pixar movies are funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's, but I'm, but I, I believe it's going to have a heart that probably doesn't come across in the marketing. Well, look, it's Pixar. Even if they've got the one blemish, otherwise they've been. Uh, really unbelievably great and i'll see anything they do for the rest of my life probably um and one thing i'm really excited about is that you have this barbie ken arc in the movie and i believe ken is played by michael keaton. michael keaton yeah yep. and i've been waiting for that guy to have a comeback for a long time i don't know if you know voice work in an animated film is going to be what does that but i, I love me some michael keaton it's a shame that white noise didn't bring him back <laughs> well you know we're jack frost <laughs> several years ago or game six his supporting role in post-grad oh my god let's move, yeah, let's that. move on are you <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. not in the theater <laughs> no okay. no not in the theater uh well Corey, why don't you just go ahead and reveal uh what is probably both of our number one movie uh, or in m- most anticipated movie of the summer the twilight saga eclipse yeah let's talk about this um <laughs> that's not actually it oh I just wanna, okay well we do differ so. i just want to um <laughs> i just want it's it's actually um it's actually christopher nolan's inception which for anybody who's listened to the show that should be pretty obvious um I mean, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. The the new trailer that played in front of some prints of Iron Man 2, but not in front of the two that I saw at the Cobb, um, is pretty amazing. Uh, it looks like, and I, and I have to give a mutual friend Phil Owen credit for this comparison, uh, it looks like if Michelle Gondry had directed a Bond movie um, with the shifting dreamscapes and... Uh, Typically clean Christopher Nolan composition with a great cast. Um, it, it just looks like the event of the summer to me. 
Yeah, a great cast featuring Tom Berenger, who uh, we haven't <laughs> seen much from in a long time. Like I think his last major role, I guess, was in Training Day. All the way back to 2001. Briefly in Training Day. Yeah, briefly. He's at that restaurant or whatever. And please, Academy Award nominee Tom Berenger. For uh, Platoon. Yep. Yeah. And he's awesome in Platoon. Barnes. Yep. Yeah, man. Um, He is. You know, I like Tom Berenger. Uh, Graham and I watched, speaking of Ridley Scott, Graham and I watched this really strange Ridley Scott movie called Someone to Watch Over Me, starring Tom Berenger as this bodyguard of Hmm. a... Of a uh, movie star who is being, you know, threatened by a murderer. But anyway, that's way beside the point. Uh, but no, I mean, look, Inception, it, it really does look great. Um, you know, I, initially I wasn't as excited about The Dark Knight when I, when it was first being promoted because I wasn't a huge fan of Batman Begins. Uh, but eventually it won me over with uh, a lot of what I was seeing in the trailers. But Inception from the start has looked really cool. (laughs) I can't really think of another way to describe it, Um, but you do have this unbelievable cast. You've got Wally Feister back on board uh, doing his thing behind the camera. Uh, And Christopher Nolan, I think a lot of people would refer to him as one of the better or maybe best active filmmakers right now uh there are people are that big of fans of the dark knight people love memento i for one my favorite christopher nolan movie is Pr- the prestige i love it i can watch it anytime it's on tv um and what excites me about this is that this is like the prestige following a batman movie you mm-hmm. know or sandwiched in between a batman movie and i just i kind of like where nolan's head is at uh when he's when he's doing that and i think that this has been a pet project of his for years and uh, the effects look incredible, practical, mostly, uh, from what I've heard. Uh, not as much CGI as you might expect, especially when you watch the trailer. I mean, it looks like, how could they pull some of that stuff right, off? Right, But uh, other members of the cast I'm looking forward to, um, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, is really showing up on a lot of people's radar as uh, somebody who could be uh, an elite uh, male actor out there. Uh, he's shown a lot of potential. I don't think he's really... I don't know that he's really nailed it 100% yet. I think he has. In what? In uh, Greg Araki's Mysterious Skin. Ah, okay. He's, I have yet to see that. amazing in that I want to see it, you know, and I really love Brick. I thought he was very well cast. Yeah. Anytime he's cast, I think, hey, that was a good casting job. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I always look forward to it. But also, Tom Hardy is in this movie. Yeah. Uh, from Bronson. Which is exciting. Yeah, and we get to see uh, what this guy uh, can do outside of uh, a prison cell. And... Um, I mean, it's always a pleasure to see Ken Watanabe yeah. and Silly uh, Murphy. Yeah. And, um, Ellen Page. Ellen Page, Marianne Cotillard. It's and loaded, course, man. Leonardo DiCaprio is yep. the lead. You know, you can't really say too many bad things no. about that. It's loaded, and I can't wait. And Tom Hardy actually has a pretty fun moment at the end of yeah. the trailer. Uh, really cool. So there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, but those are our top three most anticipated movies of the summer from each of us. Uh, pretty identical. We only differ on our number threes. He had, uh, what was it? Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, right, of course. And I had uh, the other guys. So. And really, you know, apart from these four movies, there's really not much else happening this summer unless you're a Twilight fan, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to see that at the theater. Uh, I have I have no choice really. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And uh, oh, I'll probably go by choice. I'll probably drag Kathleen along. Oh God, I'm sorry. I I enjoy making fun of these movies. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Anytime I hear somebody say that, it's like okay, yeah, you're gonna go make fun of it. (laughs) No, dude, seriously. Uh, I don't really like him. Our friend, no, our friend uh, Matt uh, Matt Scalici, he's been on the show several times, and his wife Francesca, who's also been on another 
nation of this show, uh, he told me that recently she, who has read all of the books, uh-huh. and like everybody else who reads them, you know, who you know is college age or older, they're always like, yeah, I read them. I, you know, I acknowledge that they're really badly written, but I just <laughs> like the story so much. And she has refused to see the movies. Yet uh, Matt said recently she finally gave in and was like, you know what? I think we should watch these movies just so we can make fun of them. And it's like, just say you want to watch it, you know? <laughs> just say you want to watch it. I'm um, not going to lie. There's something compelling about about these movies, um, particularly the first one, which is just so poorly made in most ways. I'm not a Catherine Hardwick fan at all. I don't think she's made a good movie yet. And Twilight certainly isn't it. Um, <laughs> because that movie has some pretty basic issues that it did not overcome. Well, anyway, that's that's enough alienating the Twilight fan base. I think so. I'm probably Please gonna, keep listening I'm to probably, our show. Yeah, I'm probably going to hear about it when I get home. <laughs> um, but let's take a very quick break, and we'll be back uh, to give you our DVD picks, make some quick announcements, and wind down the show. So uh, do stick around. Let's hear some more Sex Pistols. I like that last song. Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here, huh? 90.7. Here on Aspect Radio, I'm Ben Flanagan. Join my Corey Craft, as always. Time for our DVD picks. Craft Services, take it away. Well, uh, May is a pretty slow month for for DVD releases. I think the summer traditionally is, just in general. But um, over the past two weeks, there have been two notable releases that I, I would suggest you check out. Um, two weeks ago, saw the release of Francis Ford Coppola's new movie, Tetro, starring Vincent Gallo. Uh, which I had the opportunity to see uh, upon its DVD release. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a it's sort of a lower key character piece in in the same sort of spirit as his previous film, Youth Without Youth, a movie that I really liked as well. I don't think Tetra works quite as well as this, but it is a, a sort of low key character study about two brothers, one played by uh, Vincent Gallo, and the other played by a newcomer whose name I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, who uh, both both are artistic, both live in the shadow of their uh, composer father, um, and uh, it's it's an interesting little f- uh, familial saga um, from from Francis Ford Coppola with some great black and white cinematography. Uh, worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of the director. This is his first original screenplay since the uh, since the conversation, hmm. so it's um it's interesting. It's a good movie. Uh, and then this past week, uh, in a bit more mainstream release, um, Mel Gibson's first starring role since 2002, Edge of Darkness, a movie that I finally saw on DVD again and also really enjoyed. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, I didn't really expect much from this, but um, it's got a very good screenplay I, that was co-written by uh, by William Monaghan of The Departed, which you can tell. Um, 
but Mel Gibson is good. Um, apart from a few moments of silliness here and there, it's it's generally a really engaging sort of conspiracy thriller. Yeah, that I think works very well. It's not bad. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of. I do think it is kind of a throwaway uh, spring release. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is Mel Gibson. Unfortunately, he's using this kind of wretched Boston accent. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, and it is Martin Campbell. There's there are a lot of really uh, uh, jarring sudden moments of violence in this movie. One involving a car, and that's yeah. all I'll say. Where yeah. it's just like, whoa, okay, <laughs> came out of nowhere. But I'll say the I think the the one thing I took away from this, the one image I took away was sleazy Danny Houston wearing a uh, robe and a gold chain towards the end of the oh, movie. That was awesome. That was like. It couldn't have been a better costume for right. that character. That was awesome. Um, but either way, it's all right. It's not bad. Uh, it's worth checking out. Um, but does that do it for you? Yeah, or? does it? Well, I've got, uh, you know, I, based on my recent conversion, I switched my Netflix account to Blu-ray. And uh, my, um, you know, I got nine on Blu-ray. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really more for my mom because she wanted to see the movie. Mm -hmm. she, you know, she likes Chicago. She's a big musical fan, and uh, she had a birthday uh, this past week, and I told her, I said, look, you know, you might not like this movie uh, when you see it, so I'll rent it for you on Blu-ray, and uh, you can just do a test run, see if you like it, and uh, if you like it, we'll get it for you. But um, I have yet to watch it. I'll watch it with her at some point. And um, I also rented... The Lady Eve, the Preston Sturgis oh, nice. screwball comedy, yeah. uh, which I'll check out, starring Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. So, shouldn't shouldn't be a bad night at the movies. Um, but either way, opening nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16 this weekend, Robin Hood, which Corey reviewed today, Just Right, starring Queen Latifah, Hip Hop Star Common, and Paula Patton, uh, most recently from Precious, and Letters to Juliet, starring Amanda Seyfried. Also, keep an eye out for the Bama Art House Summer Movie Series, uh, featuring the following. It's going to premiere on June 8th with Greenberg. That's um, totally exciting. Yeah, and uh, before it's out on DVD, so that's exciting. I still haven't seen it, so and I missed it in Vestavia. <sighs> Here's so. your chance. Yeah. The Art House Series is making that possible I'm for you. I'm um, and just to kind of round out the list, it's, it's a pretty interesting list. I think it actually is superior to the last or their first go-around. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the Secret of the Kells, Oscar-nominated. Uh, Roman Polanski's Ghost Rider. Um, Oscar-nominated White Ribbon by Michael Haneke. Uh, a Prophet, also an Oscar nominee. The Secret in Their Eyes, the Oscar winner for Best uh, Foreign Language Film, something that Corey called uh, before the Oscars, uh, predicted accurately. Um, no One Knows About Persian Cats. I can't say I'm familiar with that. And Please Give to end the series. So, Corey, how do you feel about this series? I'm very excited. I've only seen one of these movies, uh, The Ghost Rider, which is really good. Mm -hmm. I look forward to actually seeing that again. Um, but uh, to get it to get a list full of you know high profile Oscar nominated films and then films by uh, you know known auteurs and known properties like Noah Baumbach and Nicole Holof Center, uh, I, I I mean I think this is this is wonderful. I mean it's, it's a great opportunity for people around here who love film to to finally see some of these movies. You know again mutual friend Phil Owen, I showed him this list and he said yeah that's the best. That's the best uh, lineup they've had in, in a long time. Um, he's coming back this summer, and, mm -hmm. and his his first remark was, "But I've already seen all those movies." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Well, not all not all of us can abscond to Los Angeles for six months, Phil." So for those of us who can't, is my point. Uh, the Bama Art House series has brought these movies to us, which yeah. is wonderful. Well, my retort to him is that he paid a lot of money to see all those. Yeah, so he can 
he can eat. And he lives in Los Angeles, which is just naturally more expensive. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we have those. So two. Phil, if you ever listen to this, <laughs> that's in your face. Yeah. So we have we have these movies to look forward to. I think the three that I'm really pumped about are Greenberg, uh, The White Ribbon, and A Prophet. Or yeah. Un Prophet. Um, so that's exciting. I'm very excited for that. Uh, now. Listeners, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. If you feel we've missed something or you have any suggestions as to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please do email us. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Aspect Radio or twitter.com slash Aspect Radio. We might even read a comment or two on the air, so keep them coming. And we will podcast this and other episodes of the show. You can find those on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. And Tumblr is spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post this podcast on Twitter and Facebook, so look out for that. And you can catch my and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. And for Corey Kraft, I am Ben Flanagan. Thank you for listening to our show. Join us next week. Have a good one.